0: Welcome. This is the fourth interview on Web Payload, and today's guest is a CSS wizard. It's Harry Roberts. Welcome, Harry. Hey, Hi. thank you very much for having
1: me. Great. Uh, can you just tell people a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, I'm a front-end developer from the UK. Um, do a lot of work with uh, with CSS, front-end architecture. Um, a lot of writing and speaking about big front ends, big websites, and big products. Uh, I now do that on a sort of consultancy freelance basis. I used to work at um, Sky for the last few years. Uh, so that's me in a nutshell. Great.
0: So talking about your your work at Sky um, and some of the CSS stuff, do you using SAS there or your version control and stuff like that? How did that fit into a larger team?
1: Um, we had – so we did use SAS. I introduced that quite late on, actually. Um, yeah, we started using SAS. Um, in in a massive code base. Um, we had uh, several products under the same Git repository. Um, and that you know, the SAS stuff just lived in a tiny directory that made it part of that. Um, version control was, I think, really well done at Sky. Um, I actually learned everything about version control whilst I was there. But uh, it was just an enormous project. I think the Reaper had... Over eighteen thousand branches. I <laughs> wow! But yeah, it's handled really well. Um, the way we tied version control with um, you know tickets for uh, for new features as well as bugs and that kind of stuff. It was a really interesting uh, environment to work in. Like I say, it was enormous and dozens and dozens of developers working on the same code base. Like I say, with well over eighteen thousand branches, probably nearing nineteen thousand now. Gee! Yeah, that's huge.
0: Wow. So when it comes to CSS, what are some of the most common newbie mistakes that you see?
1: Um, You know, there are so many. Um, But the problem is that the biggest offenders I come across probably aren't even newbie mistakes. These are things that have been, you know, developers do them today. Developers who have been working for years and years and years still make the similar kind of mistakes. Um, The desire to avoid using more classes in your markup um, can really trip developers and make work a lot harder for people. So um, just sorry to interrupt. Do you just mean like using a single class and that's it? Well, um, so if you think about the advice we were given way back when, you know, 2004, when the web standards movement really took off, a lot of it was about you know, super semantic class and ID uh, names and and using as few of them as possible and. Yeah, you know, this idea that uh, your markup should be super semantic and super neat and clean. Um, stuff like that is, is well-intentioned, but a lot of people, as they enter front end development, that's the first thing they read, and they cling on to that a little too much, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I think thinking too much from a perfectionist point of view, rather than a sort of pragmatic and, and powerful point of view, is quite a big fundamental mistake that I see quite a lot Um Really specific things as well, like um, there's a problem that someone tweeted me about the other day. Uh, just using a shorthand, um, you know, CSS for things uh, like using background instead of the more verbose background image property. Um, and even things as simple as that can really trip developers. At what ended up happening is he was using just the background shorthand, and it was completely blitzing all the other background-related properties. So a lot of the things that uh, I see as quite fundamental mistakes aren't really all that newbie, um, just, just more, um, more mistakes that we were told, things that we were told were a good idea a long time ago, Yeah. Uh, that people kind of cling on to a little too much. So,
0: what are some of the most exciting things in the future that's coming to CSS? I know there's a lot,
1: <laughs> some of your favourites. <laughs> uh, there's a hell of a lot. Um, I'm particularly interested in, uh, in Flexbox because that solves so many problems. So many layout problems will be solved by Flexbox. Um, But the the ironic thing is uh, you can tell that a lot of the Flexbox spec has been uh, modelled around table layouts. You can just see that a mile off. So it's a a new spec to kind of head back towards table-esque layouts. Um, But that's one that's got me quite excited. Um, Unfortunately, with the work I do or have done for the last few years, uh, haven't been able to touch most of the bleeding edge CSS stuff, yeah. so there's probably loads more that I'm not even aware of. But um, flexbox is a particular favourite.
0: Yeah, the problem with flexbox in in my little experiments anyway is that there's no there's no background. You can't fall back to anything there. It's kind of flexbox or nothing, as far as I can see. Is that is that
1: your experience or? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm presume you could probably put in some display table properties to catch some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is such a vast, it's such a massive change from what we have already, isn't it? But I guess yeah. proper fallbacks would be quite complex. And as well, the the browser support has been really shaky because you know the syntax keeps changing, the spec keeps changing. I think Chris Coy has got an article which sums it all up, and it's just a complete minefield. But it will be cool when it gets uh, standardised and, and rolled out a little more widely.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it is exciting stuff. I have played, but as I mentioned, and it's. Uh... It's pretty cool, and you can do some really amazing things that you just cannot simply do
1: in traditional CSS or CSS2, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I was, at, um, I was at Frontiers, and I just had a complete mind-blank. I can't remember the girl's name. I follow her on Twitter and everything, but she gave she a fantastic talk all about Flexbox. Yeah. And um, the kind of stuff you can build is so powerful. It's, it's really cool. If you have show notes, I'll... I'll I'll dig up the URL and we can put the uh, URL to her talk in the show notes. I've completely gone blank. Yep. Can't remember now. feel terrible. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely put that in the show notes. So, um, it must have been, God, a year ago, it doesn't seem it, but your article on classes, is a little bit of what you've kind of mentioned, uh, your classes and simply not using IDs, or is that the way you want to put it? <laughs>
1: if I got some attention, can you just talk a little bit about that? Um, so- yeah, so... One of the quickest ways that a front-end project starts to spiral from a CSS point of view, and particularly on a larger project, is um, because of uh, specificity, and that's a word I really struggle to say, so I apologise <laughs> if I mess with it Um You know, it's just one of those things, that it's such a tiny but troublesome aspect of CSS. Um, Lewis Lazarus, um, a really good dev who runs impressive webs, he once said that he wishes uh, specificity didn't didn't exist. Um because I'm sure you, you know you, you end up getting a selector that's really heavy and you have to use important to override it and then important to override it again. Mm. And that's a sign of just you know getting into a specificity war. And um it's just it's just a real simple quick win to to not use IDs uh just keeps your specificity loads lower. Um but a lot of people get really angered by by that sort of outlook. Um So I I wrote this article saying, look, there's very little point in using IDs in CSS. Um, But again, some people just really cling on to this advice that they were given 10 years ago. And um, yeah, I find it really hard to let go. I think it's just a a real simple uh, bit of low-hanging fruit that you can just avoid using IDs in CSS and you can save uh, a a big chunk of of dev-related headaches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't take too kindly to that one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, was it not that the uh, Zeldman came in and he, I think he was kind of pro for IDs. What was
1: what was his argument there? I can't actually remember. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, it was. It comes back to the semantics thing. He was saying that you know um, things derive meaning from your classes and IDs, uh, so you should you know use an ID to add semantics to tell whatever machine that was only one of them on the page. I believe this was the gist of his uh, rebuttal. Um, but unfortunately, if you go and look in the HTML spec, it actually says that machines derive no information from IDs whatsoever. Um, so, I mean, I, neither of us are right or wrong. I mean, if you want to use IDs, go ahead and do it. I would advise against it, but that doesn't make me right. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's quite a hotly debated issue. Um, and I think I think Zeldman's rebuttal uh, was, was centered around the the value and importance of semantics and, and what, what an ID signals, um, you know, with regards to uniqueness
0: yeah what about putting an id on the on the body tag is same idea i guess you could just use a class and it's going to be the same idea for vote, yeah, I mean, independent page layout etc
1: yeah i mean um so i wrote another article which got mixed feedback because i think it just it didn't make sense out of context but i mentioned something um on the stage talking in germany and um it got tweeted out of context, and I tried to write a follow-up article, you know, to try and catch the the confusion. Um, And I basically just said, you know, if you want to signal that something is unique, if you want to mark something as being only used once, um, just use a name. You still use a class, but just namespace it with, you know, class equals uh, ID hyphen class name or something like that. You know, if you really, really want to show that something is unique, then, you know, prepend it with something rather than using an id because it doesn't matter where you, you use an id it's, it's always much higher specificity than a class infinitely so in fact so i mean i i would always shy away from them in css another problem people have though is people assume that i mean uh don't use them at all um but you know use them in js if you if you need to mm-hmm. um use them in your markup to link to you know fragment identifiers um, but it's purely from a CSF point of view, they're more trouble than they're worth in, in my experience.
0: Yeah. There's a interesting article I came across recently. It was more like a diagram. I can't remember, I'll put that in the show notes as well. It's pretty much just a it's kind of little uh, illustrations, but it shows a specific date, or I can't say that word either. <laughs> it's <laughs> but, horrible. Uh, I'll put the I'll put the link in the in the notes. It's really quite an interesting uh resource.
1: Yeah,
0: cool. Yep. So um there's a lot of things in CSS that's kind of you've kind of mentioned that people are kind of stuck a little bit in the in the past times. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that's kind of come out. What can people really realistically be using now, or some of the things that people can be using now that they thought they probably couldn't?
1: Um, well, it completely depends. Uh, going back to what I said a second ago, I, I haven't been able to touch most of the bleeding edge CSS stuff because of the nature of the products I've been working on. Um, yeah, but even at Sky, um, where you You have to support quite a wide array of Customers uh, and their browsers We were just making real Die hard use of um, You know, board radius Kind of stuff, real simple stuff that people Probably already are using Um, But we we took a real Die hard stance on that, we were just like If you're not using a supporting browser Then you you, you can't have your own corners Um, But things like uh, I'm trying to think uh, things like SVGs, I guess the tail end of old IE's dying out now, so uh, I've started using SVGs a lot more. Um,
0: yeah, one thing.
1: You? About a, sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. One thing with SVGs that I've spotted
0: is that some of these file sizes on SVGs are ridiculous. I've seen some footer images and they're talking about 500k or something. You know, you can get a whole site into that. Jesus, so that's, yeah, that's, that's one of the things to watch with SVGs. I've just seen some scary, scary uh, mm-hmm. file sizes on them. I that, guess you know, um, I haven't tried but I'm sure there are ways that you can optimise
1: them I'm sure there yeah, well, um there's a tool, uh, a command line tool called SVGO which optimises them um, right. and because they're all plain text you can minify them and gzip them so you can get loads back out that way but um, yeah uh, I've never come across any quite as big as that that's quite obscene
0: Yeah. <laughs> it took me I was like wow what is this <laughs> yeah, so on your in your Sky experience, what kind of browser support are you guys falling back to there? I mean you won't be going back to IE five, I guess IE six
1: is still a number or or was it or? Well, it's actually um actually really really cool at Sky. I worked specifically in the betting and gaming arm, uh, and we had a slight different set of rules to the rest of Sky. Um each each division of Sky is kind of self governing uh, from a dev point of view. Uh And as soon as I moved to Sky, I said, look, let's just not support IE6 because the numbers were so small that it it would have held us back too much for people in decent browsers. Um, So we got rid of IE6 really, like, really early on, pretty much straight away. Um, When was that, Tally? That will have been 2011. Right. Yeah, so um, uh, I say really early on. I mean, uh, early on in my time there. Yeah. Um, And then... About a year later, uh, we were looking into IE7 stats and uh, all I got at first was the raw number and it was something like, it was tens of thousands of people a month in IE7 and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. right, that's too many, we obviously can't drop IE7 support. Um, but it turns out with a with site as heavily trafficked to skybet.com, uh, tens of thousands is still only about 1%, right. so, um, so we managed to drop IE7 support uh, sometime last year. Um so we we just support IE eight, which is actually a fairly decent browser in, in many respects. Yeah. Yeah. Um it certainly I think IE seven was the last bad IE uh, IE eight tons better. So um our browser support was IE eight upwards, our most common browser was uh Chrome, which was really cool. And the majority of our visits um were from Chrome users. Yeah. Um well so Sky is investing really heavily in mobile at the moment, so the last nine months I was there I didn't touch a single desktop browser anyway uh, we were working on mobile specific products right so we were just supporting um, android two point three upwards and then iOS four upwards pretty much and then sort of uh, outlying browsers and devices either side of them right pretty cool we uh, as a As a company, I was really surprised. Or as as customers, I guess would be the proper way to put it. I was really impressed with how switched on our customers seem to be. We seem to have a lot of users um, in decent browsers, which is really nice.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, great luxury. So, what about some of your browser testing there? When you're talking about Android and iPhone, I guess you'd be testing on native devices. How many devices did you have, and how did did that work? Um,
1: So we had. We had a lot of devices, <laughs> but yeah. the company was that big that we never had enough. Um, so there was there were always sort of uh, squabbles over who's using which devices on which day. Um, each scrum, so we were working on several products uh, in tandem, and uh, each scrum would have their own device pool, but we'd always end up you know borrowing each other's. Uh, we had tons of uh, devices to hand, but um, one of the biggest things that we did. Uh, on mobile skybet.com was we completely paired it back we just which went real simple like uh nicely designed but not flashy not over the top so we took it back to such a simple skeleton that, um we could support pretty much every browser you know from the offset anyway which is a really nice really clever or well not so much clever but a really wise decision um there's a temptation you know to try and over-design things. And we, we went the complete opposite way and took it back so simple that it would have been hard to get things wrong cross-browser.
0: Right. So when you're talking about browsers um, on mobile, is there, like, when a new device comes out, obviously there's going to be quite an update to that, but how far back do you need to go on mobile devices? I mean, like, when the original iPhone came out, are we talking about going back to that? or what, No, we... Um, what kind of numbers roughly, I know it's really hard to, to say, but
1: on those early devices, are people still using them? or? Um, I couldn't give you any numbers off the top of my head, but I do know it was definitely the minority, the large minority. Um, we noticed a really, really positive uptake in I, uh, iOS 7. Um, so the majority of our mobile users seem to update their browsers or their OSs and therefore browsers uh, quite frequently. We didn't have to support much in the way of legacy. Uh, our numbers, because uh, products like Sky um, have to be data-led. A lot of the decisions have to be backed by numbers. Uh, so we had constant, um, you know, um, updates. We we had a browser roadmap uh, mailing list that went round. We'd constantly look at the numbers and decide when to sort of snip older browsers off. Um, but we, we were quite lucky that, yeah, we, we kept quite a nice up-to-date supported browser list.
0: Yeah, great. So you, you said that you, you got your other guys on your team onto SaaS. I mean, how how did that work? Was that an easy
1: sell? or? Um, it's a bit of a confession. I kind of messed up with the politics of this because uh, I didn't get how big a deal it was initially. Um, I was the only front-end devops guy, so I was pretty much the only person writing SaaS anyway.
0: Right.
1: And as a result... I just decided, well, we're starting a new project. I'd like to do it uh, with SAS. So I just went ahead and started using SAS. And then um, the problem came that um, our build process, whenever we run um, when a build, um, it didn't use Ruby at all in the stack. Um, so I just introduced a dependency on that completely without thinking. Uh, and, and all the DevOps guys were like, well, can you not use less because that uses Nerd and we've already got Nerd in the stack. And uh, we'd kind of gone a bit far by this point, and um, the guys were real good, and they they sort of um, you know they sorted it out so that we could start building uh, SATA at build time. Uh, but yes, it wasn't it wasn't painless, but it was entirely my fault uh, because yeah, I didn't realise that our build process didn't currently have a have um any Ruby stuff in it. Right. Uh, but once we got that, we use it as standard now. We built an internal framework, an internal toolkit. Which is entirely based on SaaS.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So you're now freelance. Uh when did when did you leave Sky? It wasn't that long ago, was it? It was
1: It was uh not quite two weeks ago. It was a week and a bit ago. Um was my final day. Quite quite new to the uh self employed lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> and you've picked up work okay? Yeah, um, I've not done any client work yet just because I'm kind of chilling out for a couple of weeks and sorting out um, the admin side of things. But, uh, yeah, I've got lots of people in touch about workshops and and that kind of stuff, which is really cool. Yeah. I've spent the last five years as a, you know, on the shop floor developer kind of role, you know, actually in the trenches kind of thing. Yeah. I'm really keen to try and take a more uh, educator role, which sounds really pretentious. Um, but, you know, I just like the idea of doing more workshops and more talks and that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's been quite a lot of interest around that, which is really, really nice.
0: Fantastic, yeah.
1: I guess you don't want to be um,
0: solely doing workshops. You still want to be in the field a little bit, but you're trying to split your work, I guess, and yeah,
1: definitely. some things like stuff. Fantastic. Definitely. I've um, got a really nice guy getting touch the um, other day. Um, and we just had the, with the best little Skype call. It was over and done in sort of 15 minutes. He was like, Hey, you know, do you want to come and work on a product with me in Germany? I was like, Oh, uh, yeah, that great. And he said, uh, End of the month? Yeah, okay. And then next, you know, he booked me flights. So I'm going out to work on this product with a guy. So I'm still getting to do some hands on dev, which I'm really excited about. Wow. Um, but kind of interspersing that with workshops and talks.
0: Fantastic. So you also, um, You've got a great blog and you blogged about, you Thank had you. like a mini, mini breakdown, unfortunately. Can you just go into a little bit about that and some advice to other people that's going to potentially run into the same?
1: Yeah. yeah um, Yeah. I don't know if you call it a breakdown or just like a, like a tipping point, but um, yeah, so I'd been uh, sort of working flat out for a while, because um, as well as working a full-time job at Sky, uh, every CFS wizardry thing, every talk every every open talk was completely on the site it was nothing to do with my day job at all so i was he- working a full day coming home and then you know writing talks and going to give talks in other countries and then coming back and going back to work the next day so it was just all a bit hectic and um i had a particularly sort of full-on two weeks and uh all over the, literally all over the place all over the country and um as well as as well as working my day job <laughs> it all came to a head, unfortunately, uh, on stage at a, uh, a a talk that I was giving in, in Liverpool. Worst place. Yeah, I know. And, uh, and the irony is the talk I was going to give was going to be about like, not working too hard and sure, uh, making sure that everything you do counts towards something. So the, the, the irony was, well, I didn't even get to give the talk. I got on stage, and within about three minutes, I, just sort of, I said to the audience, I, I think I'm going to faint. And they all laughed because they thought I was referring to the, um, the temperature in the room. And I was like, no, really, guys, I'm going to... And then I didn't even get to finish my sentence. I just went and some guys caught me from the front row. It's it pretty embarrassing. Yeah, they could have thought that it was part of your... <laughs> part of your yeah. sort of... Uh, bit yeah. PR. But, um, no, it was, it was insane. And as well, um, to add to it, I literally handed my notice in at the sky that afternoon. So I was still sort of reeling from
0: Gee.
1: leaving a a steady, well-paying, full-time job, so that was still, yeah. that was a pretty stressful experience, and it didn't help that I had to hand my notes into a colleague who'd become such a good friend, so I had this horrible afternoon doing that, and then straight on a train over to Liverpool, and then yeah, it all came to a head on stage.
0: Yeah, absolute nightmare, yeah. yeah.
1: And I guess, uh, I guess you mentioned advice to people to avoid the same thing. Yeah. The whole point of what I was going to speak about at the talk was, um, you know, you can do all this stuff, you can do all these open-source and do all these talks and, and everything. But I wasn't making it count for me. I wasn't really doing anything to make it pay off. Yeah, uh, I was just running myself off the ground, but I was still going to the same office every day, still getting paid the same amount of money every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't matter if I spoke at a conference or, or watched EastEnders. I would have still got paid the same amount of money. Yeah. So all the talks I was giving weren't really amounting to anything um, right there. see and that with it. Now that you've gone freelance, I guess you you're starting to see a little bit of the payoff now, is that right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um so right there and then it wasn't doing anything for me. Yeah. So which is which is why I decided to hand my notice in. I was having this weird double life of flying around and doing a talk. Uh which is really cool. It's I still can't believe I get that I have that privilege. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um but then I'd just come back and I'd work a regular job and uh it's this weird double life that I needed to start making things count for me. And uh, and that's why I decided to sort of hand my notes in and try and focus a bit more on the stuff that I was enjoying more. Yeah. So my advice would be, yeah, if you're doing, if you're writing blog posts and uh, giving talks or doing open source work, um, just make sure it's going to amount to something before you end up having poured hundreds of hours into it and yeah. and wearing yourself out.
0: Yeah, don't work too hard, folks. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a massive difference between working hard and working too hard, yeah. and uh, and you should never work too hard.
0: Yeah, totally agree. So you've also got a, a little side um project called Inuit CSS. Can you just talk a little bit about that?
1: Uh Inuit's a a SAS based object oriented CSS framework that I um I gave it its first proper proper release about uh, a year ago. And um it just I got really into object oriented CSS when I around the time I moved to Sky and I saw how many problems it solved. So I decided to uh, write a framework around it. And um, I hadn't realized until recently how well Inuit had taken off. Um, uh, it's just a tiny little uh, unopinionated library, which doesn't do any design work. It doesn't doesn't style anything visually, because I believe that should be left to the person implementing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I kind of I built it, and uh, I haven't touched it in like five months, which I feel so guilty about. I've just been too busy to work on it. Um, but then in the past few weeks, I've started to hear things like um, uh, someone I can't, someone got into, a recruiter that was it got in touch with me, and they, uh, they said, said, oh, all Harry. Um, we've got we've got someone here who wants a developer with Inuit.css CSS experience, uh, and we thought why not come straight to you? And I was like, holy, oh, wow, this is amazing! Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, there are recruit there are people out there actually hiring people who can work with Inuit,
0: yeah.
1: and then um, the guy got in touch with me to. Uh, to go work on site in germany he um he wants to rebuild his app on inuit so i'm really like i'm really amazed that it's taken off so well but in the same in the same breath i'm really feeling guilty that i've left it untouched for so long
0: yeah fantastic your hard work's certainly paying off now eh (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah yeah starting to which is good
0: yeah great so you mentioned something interesting there you said that um the styling on your CSS should be left to designer. So you're kind of against, I guess, like a boilerplate or something like that, or your Twitter Bootstrap. Personally, I, I totally um, agree with what you said. I mean, I'm great for all for prototyping stuff quickly, but there's a lot of guys that will just chuck things in your third designs, and that's the, <laughs> and that's the design, and that's just not the way. I don't think it should go about. But what's your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think each have their own. Uh... Each have their own sort of uh, use cases. Um, it, I I wouldn't ever charge a client for something that I built on Bootstrap because yeah. you know it's, it just didn't seem right to use something off the shelf. Totally agree. Um, however, if you look at um, the amount of GitHub projects that you know, you've got a software engineer who's an absolute genius when it comes to programming but you know completely useless as a designer, Bootstrap's really good for people mm. like that because they need to put together a half decent looking user interface. Um, it's it's nice that they can get, that they can get something off the shelf. Yeah. Um, so I mean it's definitely got its its um, use cases. The reason I shied away from packaging of any cosmetic design was because if you wanna use a um uh, if you want to use a, a framework to any sort of real benefit or you know through your benefit for your product, um you don't want to spend all your time deleting styles that are already there. Mm. You don't want to spend time over writing stuff that the previous developer or the sorry the person who runs the project uh, left in. So a lot of frameworks become hard to use because of the fact they're so opinionated and so design-focused. Yeah. Um. I, I think a framework should do... Well, it should just be. That should be a framework. It should allow you to work how you want. Yeah.
0: Modifying your own is is slightly... Taking a framework and modifying it... For your own use, but like you kind of mentioned, it. I guess there are well, I've certainly heard horror stories that they're passing off unique design they've just chucked in a <laughs> in a bootstrap. I mean, that's just yeah. a bit of absolute nonsense. Yeah, it's not great,
1: but um, like I said, yeah, there are use cases for each. Um, but I think I think the problem with bootstrap and, and things like that is not the project itself, but the fact that they're referred to as frameworks. And I, I wouldn't say that Bootstrap's a framework. I'd say it's a component library. It comes already design, designed. It's not a framework at all. It's a, a library of components. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I think Inuit tries to be a, a framework in its truest sense.
0: Yeah. We better uh, wrap this up pretty soon. But I've got one last question, and it's very open-ended. But something you've learned from a recent project.
1: Um, so. Okay, I won't do a specific project, if that's all right. What I will say is my stint at Sky has taught me a lot of things. Yeah. And uh, I think the best thing I learned at Sky, and I think every developer should should learn this at some point, um, is that you're not there to sort of write code. You're not there to... Uh, you're employed to be a developer to to write code to an extent. But um, there's a lot more to building websites than the code behind them. You've got to be sort of more product and... Uh, yeah product focused and a lot more pragmatic. Uh, I entered Sky with the kind of every line of code I write should be perfect and it should be you know a joy for someone to read you know who 's perking through view source on a on a website but um, I think one of the biggest things I learned at Sky is just how much i didn 't know and how much uh, the, how much more there is to being a developer and that 's the thing i 'm really keen to get across to people through workshops. you know you might be employed as a web developer, but there 's so much more to your job. Because uh, at the end of the day, we're all focusing on building a site or a product. Uh, we're not focusing on writing the code itself. Yeah. Um, sounds a bit pretentious now I say it out loud. But yeah, I, I guess something along the lines of that. That's the biggest thing I learned in my recent work.
0: Yeah. Great advice, Harry. Yep. Maybe. So, you're talking about your workshops. You've got one planned at the end of
1: the month. You've got other ones planned as well? Or? Yeah, I've got um, one at the end of the month uh, in Leeds. Which is handy because I'm based in Leeds. Great. Uh, then I've got one in the beginning of next month in uh, in Zurich, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, that's with the Smashing Magazine guys.
0: Oh yeah, great stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, I've never been to Zurich either, so I'm really looking forward to that.
0: That'll be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm hoping it will be. Great. Okay, we better uh, knock this on the head. <laughs> uh, cool. Thank you very very much, Harry. How do people keep up with you?
1: Um. CSS yeah, Wizardry on Twitter, I guess. Yep,
0: and your site, and your. Internet. Yeah. I'll put all these links in the in the show notes. Ah, oh, nice one. Cool. Okay, thank you very much, Harry. Really appreciate it.
1: And uh, no, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Cheers.